It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. A rare Sunday early evening game for the Warriors. It was played at 5 and... It kind of felt like that a little bit early on. The crowd was a little bit flat. The team was more than a little bit flat defensively for most of the game. And then they really kicked it in for those last six minutes, went on a big closing kick, and ended up winning by 13 relatively comfortably, even if the rest of the game was left less comfortable. And the person I wanted to talk to about it is my frequent podcast partner for Dunked On, Nate Duncan. And so we talk mostly about the game and everything that happened, a little bit of a preview of the upcoming four-game road trip, and then a little bit of a discussion about the really exciting new opportunity that he and I are doing together, which is called the Twitter NBA Show, which will actually launch with Warriors Raptors on Wednesday. And so you can get the details in this, and I'm also writing a piece for Real GM. And this episode is sponsored by SeatGeek, so you can download the awesome free SeatGeek app you go to the settings tab, use the promo code LO Warriors, and you can get $20 off your first order. Again, SeatGeek, LO Warriors, and conversation runs about 35 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. So I, I kind of was trying to figure out a way to frame this game, and the way that I thought of doing so was that this is both tonight's game was both why I picked the over for this team, but also why I was a little bit uncomfortable about doing so. Yeah, that makes sense, because for all but the last six minutes, the defense was absolutely horrendous, and they went to green at center, and they started switching everything, and this Phoenix team couldn't do anything about it, and they just outscored them 24-6 to over the last five minutes of the game. Yeah, I, I think that is a pretty good way of putting it. And one of the aspects, I mean, we can, we'll get into the scoring of the main guys in, in a minute, but one of the parts of this game that I found the most interesting was the substitution usage of the various traditional big men. So Zaza Pachulia got what you and I often call the Keith Bogan spot, where he started and then didn't play at all in the rest of the half and did that in both halves. And then McGee replaced pa- replaced Pachulia in the first quarter, then never played again. And then they kind of bounced around with the other guys, too. Yeah, they went with Looney, who still somehow was plus six, even though I thought he played pretty poorly, especially defensively at center. They went more with Draymond at center. And I think a lot of that was just driven by the fact that Phoenix only played one traditional center, and that was Len. And he, he of course, was pretty bad. So when he went out of the game, it was... Uh, Tucker at center or Bender, depending on on who you wanted to call the center, basically to match up with Draymond. And it's interesting because I think actually teams that go small almost have more of an advantage at times before the end of the game over the Warriors, because unless the Warriors are going to go with the specific combination of Durant at power forward and Green at center, they actually don't really have guys who can match up with the other team's small lineup. Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of 
you could call it a weakness of this team is that you can do those guys. I, I'm sure there's some hope that eventually Kevon Looney could kind of be a part of that as well, but he hasn't proven that yet. And the Warriors are largely one of the staggers they're doing is they're separating Durant from Draymond Green because they're playing Durant, you know, coming back with that second unit. And that means they're playing fewer minutes together. So when you want to ramp up in this current alignment, if you want to ramp up the minutes with those guys at power forward and center, it's actually kind of hard to do. Yeah, I agree with that. And then you just look at some of the other guys that they have are maybe ill-suited to really play the four in small lineups. You want to go with Andre Iguodala at the four. He's a little small for that. And then there was one point that they had Steph McCaw and Ian Clark all on the floor at the same time. And then they were just getting killed on post-ups, had to help on fronts on the backside. And then they're opening up uh, pretty easy, if not lobs, then uh, where people would help on the lob, they could throw it to the other side and get an advantage. And even at one point, I think Draymond Green, I want to say this was in the second quarter, like told Steve Kerr, hey, you got to bring in somebody bigger uh, to that lineup because of that issue. And it gets at something that the Warriors broadly are very good at doing on their own offense, and that's attacking, you know, if, it, if another team is in a switch-happy system, using that to manufacture the, the combination, the matchup you want, and then exploiting it. And the Suns did, at first stretches of this game, did a beautiful job of exactly that. Yeah, they did really well there. and But I thought the, the bigger issue for me with the Warriors in this game, and we, I mean, we should obviously talk about what happened in that last five minutes, but the bigger issue was the transition defense. That was really bad. Uh, the rim protection, Phoenix was 24, 25 out of 34 at the rim. 34 is, would be more shot attempts at the rim than the league worst team gives up, and that's a really high percentage. The league average is 60% on shooting at the rim. They gave up 73.5%. It was really, and they only forced 21 mid-rangers, which is not very good either. Gave up a fair amount of three-pointers to a team that doesn't shoot a lot. I mean, this is not a good Phoenix offensive team, and they really had it run down their throats. They had a lot of turnovers. It just was pretty ugly defense throughout most of the game. It was, and then what really did turn it around was the very end of the game when the Warriors showed how kind of how dominant they can be. There were other stretches early in the game. There was that crazy sequence where McCaw blocked Booker, then Durant blocked Booker, and then Curry got a three. But that last six minutes, went, so Curry came in he, with six minutes to go, and the Warriors were plus 12. And, you know, that's huge. That really did help. That decided the game, really closed it out. But Curry... The two-time MVP only attempted one shot during those six minutes. Yeah, but they were scoring extremely well. Here are some stats from that. It was 24-6. to Phoenix was one out of seven from the field. Also had three turnovers. They just kept getting stripped down low. And then the Warriors, eight of 12, three of five from three-point range, five of five from the free-throw line, and only one turnover uh, to get that 24-6 to run they stopped fouling as well and it was really just the first time that we've seen this team just look absolutely unstoppable and the other issue too is not only down those stretch did they go to their best players but they also go to their best plays they just go to a Steph and Draymond pick and roll and then they space the floor and now it's Kevin Durant spacing the floor instead of Harrison Barnes the way it was Livingston also played for Iguodala which I thought was justified Iguodala didn't really do a ton today and Livingston was scoring well. He was able to find some nice creases in the defense uh, to uh, when the Phoenix was helping on the Warriors. So uh, it's not only the personnel, but Steve likes to do a lot of the stuff where they keep everyone involved and blah, blah. But, I mean, their best play is still just Steph Curry and Draymond Green in a pick and roll. 
Yeah, and there's a fundamental difference. As much as I love the idea of Curry-Durant pick-and-rolls, and I still think they should use that more and will with time, that having swapping basically Durant and Green, putting Durant in the corner, as you said, in the barn spot, it puts defenses in this incredibly uncomfortable position where you basically don't want to help off anyone. And Livingston did a nice job of... Yeah, and actually to that point... If if I can interrupt, yeah, Livingston, you said he was able to score. And then Durant, too, had two buckets late where he was able to just drive on his man. And it must have been like, where's the help at? Because he was able to just go by. I think Chris at one point uh, was who he beat. And there's just no help available at the rim because you have this incredible shooting around him. And you get into this, it's one of the differences between Livingston and Iguodala that I find fascinating. I mean, obviously, Iguodala is a more complete defensive player, and they both have gifts offensively, but I feel like Livingston is more comfortable with where he can get his shot than Iguodala is. So you, so yeah, you actually, Iguodala, it's just going to be a three, basically. Right. Is it's, what it's, it's basically going to be a three unless he gets a wide open lane, and usually that's in transition. And so with Livingston, you know, if you help off him, like, if, let's say you if you put the center on him, theoretically, if you were going to play, you know, even if it's more of like a like a dragon bendery center you doing it doing there and having him help well then livingston's probably going to get a 15 footer and he wants a 15 footer so it's it's a different logistical challenge and it's one of the big questions with this team is that Iguodala is still a very talented guy but if let's say he's a half step or a step slower defensively it starts to change the calculus there, especially if when we get closer to the playoffs and Durant presumably will take on a much larger defensive role. Yeah, Durant, I, th- I think, is needed to protect the rim. And, and Andre, when, I mean, Livingston, I think, might be as good as he is now at defending against quicker players. Andre's still better on switches. Phoenix doesn't really have that ISO wing threat like LeBron James or what Kevin Durant was for OKC or Carmelo Anthony, those type of players. So he'll definitely need to be in there at that point. He's, I, right. You would hope he's going to get over the shooting slump that he's been in as well. I, I also thought that they were aided in some respect by uh, some curious choices by Earl Watson. But then Earl also, some of his comments after the game that I uh, was present for kind of explained that, hey, you know, we are going to ride or die with our young guys here. We're growing and you know that's why they brought in Chris for example he fouled out in 16 minutes he's been starting over Dudley Dudley was awesome in this game he never if they're if you're really trying to win Dudley stays out there and Chris coming back in coincided with the death line coming in and that was really not a good combination yeah it wasn't and Chris you know he has a lot of athleticism he had a, a nice tip dunk in this game but the nuances of help defense and a lot of the other kind of things they asked him to do were, were hard. And there is the, a comfort, you could call it, with Earl Watson. You know, he's interim last year because Hornacek got fired, got a new contract and everything else like that to basically be simpatico with management. And as long as they're good, as long as they're OK with you doing the youth movement, then by all means. I thought Bender was pretty good in this game. I think he and I asked Earl Watson about him after the game. He said, yeah, we got to start getting that guy some more time. He, he had a nice block and help defense had a nice offensive rebound where he, he actually showed some strength inside, which I'm sure that's got to be the most frustrating thing about him for the Phoenix c- coaches that they're going to try to toughen him up a little bit. But his versatility in a game like this, I thought, uh, could, could be very useful. And he was... Uh, he was at one point plus 14, and then Earl maybe stayed with the bench a little bit longer than he, he might have. Uh, Barbosa had it working as well uh, against the death line if they started to get hurt. But uh, Bender, uh, a pretty encouraging performance for him. I know this isn't a Suns podcast, but I think he is the type of player, you know, when we did that podcast about, hey, what are the threats for the Warriors in this division? 
that you could start to see the outline here as long as the Suns aren't dumb enough to play Alex Len, who is awful in this game, uh, of how this team could compete with the Warriors down the road. Yeah, I mean... The, At least in individual games against them. <laughs> right, right. I think that the dream for, for Bender and really for a lot of different teams against the Warriors is a guy who isn't a traditional five. You know, if you could, of course, if you could get the unicorn that is a guy who's a traditional five but then is comfortable shooting NBA threes, yeah, that'd be great. But outside of that, somebody who's comfortable switching and who can take advantage of, of offensive situations when they present themselves. Like, that's really what you're looking for. And Bender isn't all of that, but he's at least part of it. And that's something that should be exciting. And that, you know, it's part of, I think, that while he's not even near the player that Carl Anthony Towns was, that's kind of the idea, is somebody who can do enough of the kind of switching elements of it. And generally speaking, that creates fewer seams. And then you don't need that kind of a rim protector, which against the Warriors, and also they're not that huge a driving team anyway. You know, it's funny, Ethan wrote his column and he said that McGee struggled defensively. I actually didn't see that. There was one play where Jared Dudley blew past him on a closeout and then McGee goaltended his layup. Other than that, I thought it just he didn't really get much of a chance to do anything. He hit a couple of free throws, as I recall, and that was basically it. And I mean, this game to me wasn't yay or nay for McGee getting a role. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And it's funny, I get a lot of listener interest in JaVale McGee insight. And the aspect of it for me that was different was that they just didn't have the lob opportunities. And so he, you know, I think that when he was on the floor, the Suns did something that is broadly unusual, which is that they went small earlier and tried to run JaVale McGee because he's a traditional five off the floor. I don't think that was their intention. Like we're going small to get JaVale McGee off the floor. It was, we think we have an advantage we can press here. And when you think about that, well, it's also of, they just didn't have a backup center behind right, Len. Right. So I want I want to say he got two fouls pretty quickly early. I, ble- I believe he did. And so you get into those circumstances where McGee actually can sometimes benefit as much as he can get beasted a little bit on the other end, like he did by Nurkic in that Nuggets game. He can also benefit from being faster than the guy who's guarding him. And when they're playing PG Tucker at the five, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's true. I think he's more useful against teams that have some really good drivers in help defense. But yeah, I didn't see him make any real mistakes other than that one play. But when you only play three minutes, there's not really that much of a chance for that. Uh, I thought McCaw had an encouraging game. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I, I wrote during the third quarter, I, I basically congratulated him on securing a, a rotation spot. And the reason for that was he did a lot of what the Warriors are looking for in that backup shooting guard spot, which is work hard, make the shots that are available to you, and just do little things if you can. Like he's an underrated for how for how young he is, it's incredible. Help defender, he has good instincts and all he that. He just sort of- materializes out of nowhere uh, like 30 feet away from where he's supposed to be just coming over the strong side gambling on plays and he rarely gets caught out with his gambling either. He just knows when guys turn their heads when they're not expecting it. You know, he had that amazing block to and I thought he did better uh, uh, later in this game on switches where he really has just been completely pummeled in the post. He actually had a couple of decent efforts there. Yeah, and McCaw, he kind of has to strike this balance, and it's something that impressed me at Summer League, because I didn't, admittedly, didn't watch a ton of him at Vegas. I'm not Mike Schmitz, who was on that train miles before any of the rest of us. And what I like about him defensively also is that he gets steals and those kind of circumstances because he's in the right place at the right time. It's not as somebody who covered Monte Ellis for years. It's not because he just gambles and he, and he, so he gets out of position. If he gets the steal, then, you know, you get a layup the other way. It's within this course of what you want defensively. 
Yes, he had two blocks and a steal in his 18 minutes and was uh, two of three on three-pointers. He also really has a good understanding of the game. He missed this layup, but on one play on an out-of-bounds, he had the ball on the wing, and the Warriors ran their cyclone play, which is Steph Curry backscreening for Draymond Green, and Phoenix totally covered it up very well, but everyone was totally preoccupied with that. And so he was able to drive past his man and get all the way to the rim. He just missed the layup. But it was an impressive understanding that, hey, this is going to be there if, if they're so preoccupied with this action on the other side of the floor. So that kind of understanding, breaking the set play to go and try and get an advantage, like those are the kind of things that are really wise beyond his years. And then defensively, you know, we talked about how he just gets run over anytime he's in a switch. That happened once early against Dudley, and then the next time he was able to actually force a miss, and then he worked hard when he was isolated on Booker to deny the entry and get a steal on that play. So he's going to have to find a way to just compete a little bit harder in those situations because, especially in the playoffs, teams are going to be coming right at him on those situations. Yeah, they definitely will. And I think McCaw is actually a great example of a player who you appreciate and understand better live. And the reason for that is just the way that basketball is shot. And so if you want to kind of see that sort of nuance, whether you're, you know, if you're into the Warriors or sometimes actually their opponents, I feel like I learned a lot more about the Suns in this game. A great way to do that is by using SeatGeek. And so if you go to SeatGeek, you can find whatever game you want for the Warriors, or if it's a concert or any any other event that you have, you can use their amazing free app. And there are a lot of reasons why I like SeatGeek, but one of them is because it's an aggregator. So it takes all a lot of the other ticket inputs and it puts them all in one place so you don't have to search all around. For those of you who like Kayak, which I do as a travel site, it's the same same fundamental idea. And also, they put in deal score. And so I've used SeatGeek for my own tickets, and I have a background in this business I used to buy and sell was my job. And so I feel like, especially in a place like Oracle that I've been for years, that I, I know what I'm doing. But what I found is that their deal score was right on with my own judgment. And that's really impressive when you're thinking about people developing an app like that. So if you want to try it out for free, it's really a win-win because you can download the free SeatGeek app, then you can go to the settings tab and enter a promo code, and that promo code is LO Warriors. And then not only do you get to try out this app, but you get $20 off your first order. So you download the app, SeatGeek app, you go to the settings tab, LO Warriors. Not only do you get $20 off, but you get to tell them that you came from us, and hopefully they keep advertising with us. You get to see a great event. Hopefully it's the Warriors. Maybe it's something else. And you get to have a great experience. So I think now we've talked, we've kind of bounced around a lot of the other stuff in the last six minutes, but this was, in, as far as I can tell, the first game where all four of the Warriors' potential, maybe even likely all-stars, played well in the same game. Yeah, you know, in the first half, Clay probably had about the worst game that, that I could recall. And even up until that last six minutes or so, I, I want to say he was like negative 16. And then, of course, they outscored him by 18. And so he ended up a, at plus two. But before that, he really had been awful. He got into foul trouble. Uh, it was turning it over. A lot of uh, defensive miscommunications that he and Draymond in particular were involved with uh, that were, were really disappointing but yeah I mean once obviously once he puts up 30 points on that kind of efficiency uh, by the end of the night you have to characterize as good and Steph w- was just cooking again he his efficiency this year has been completely ridiculous he was uh 30 points on 20 shooting possessions <laughs> I mean just a, uh, a and six to six six rebounds uh didn't turn it over as much Clay had five turnovers that was a big problem for him 
KD actually, I, I thought, had one of his weaker games of the season, both defensively and, and shot. He's been shooting 58% on twos until tonight. He was 10 out of 21. But still, for 30 points for both Curry and Thompson, 29 for Durant, and then Draymond with 14, 11 assists, uh, three steals, two blocks. Like they, they definitely did have it working, at least all offensively. Thank you for completely blowing up my premise, but it was totally justified. Because you're right. I mean, Thompson's first half was, it was rough. And I mean, not only, like, you can look at the box score stuff if that's what matters to you. But it was one of the stranger elements of this game was that a lot of the miscommunications were holdover guys. It wasn't this sort of like, oh, you know, you've tried to figure out. It's been the case all year. It's really weird. Well, I mean, Pachulia was involved in some of them, too. But I think those weren't necessarily communication. Those were just misreading the player, not being able to get there. But yeah, I mean, Clay Clay and Draymond have had some. Clay and Steph have had some. It's just, you know, the way that this sometimes works. And yeah, there were some where it was just like, they did. I think it was Clay and Durant just didn't communicate a switch. And I think it was Booker got wide open. Yeah, there, there was that one. There was the one late where Dudley hit a three from the left wing where the Suns actually did a nice play out of a timeout to have three separate screens and Draymond I think was supposed to switch on and he didn't do it I think they get into trouble sometimes because a lot of times they'll have Draymond actually play normal pick and roll defense and it just seems much better when they just switch everything even in the Oklahoma City series if you go back to that they had Draymond playing normal pick and roll defense I think through game four and that was a big part of why they couldn't stop the Thunder when it was, for example, Robertson being the dive man. And once they started just switching everything like normal, their defense got a lot better in that series. But maybe, you know, again, I, I'm not sure about this, but it still seems like Steve Kerr wants to have the team be able to play the traditional way and doesn't want to like bail out his own players by going to the fail safe things that'll work switching Draymond Green at center, Steph Draymond pick and roll instead of doing their normal flow offense. And I have very little problem with that in the regular season. However, the challenge from last year, and I I think I talked about this with Ben Golliver a little bit, is that what gives me pause is that he also was reluctant to do it in the playoffs. And he knows that it's the best thing for this team. I mean, Kurt's talked about it before and like that just just how successful they are in those lineups. And then they still, you know, had those moments where they wanted to go with the traditional five. And even, you know, after Boca got hurt, they still wanted to go in that direction as much as they could. Well, in Kerr's defense, remember, in game six, he started the death lineup and they were it was like 31 to 11 after the first quarter. So I I think he did try. I mean, I think that was just, you know, small sample size. I would have stuck with that lineup. Obviously, we know in that game seven that they were, I think, plus 14 when Draymond was at center. So they should have done that more. We, we know that. But he did at least try it. We got to sure. give him some credit yeah. there. And today's game also confirmed something that I'm not completely sure we've talked about, but I've floated it on Twitter and on Lockdown Warriors a few times, which is that over the course of an 82-game regular season, I would love to see the Warriors try the four, you know, Curry, Clay, Draymond, and Durant with every other player on their roster except for Anderson Verjao because I don't want to see that. And the reason for that is each one of them has different strengths and weaknesses and just to give them reps, to give it experience and just see how it works. I mean, that was one of the lineups that with JaVale was great. Like those guys were just good at finding him. He fit in things. And so I'd love to see it with Looney. Saw it with Livingston work well today. We said we've seen dashes of it with McCaw and that can be kind of a little thing to watch for the rest of the season. Yeah, you mentioned Looney. What did you think of his game tonight? It was all right. I I think that he, defensively, sometimes he gets a little bit, let's call it over-exuberant, and he just kind of... Well, it's funny because he's it's like a combination of too aggressive and then sort of like not strong enough and not aggressive enough, 
at other times. Like like that. Remember that Bledsoe and one that, that basically yeah. forced him out of the game where he would just sort of like tried to get out of the way and ended up committing a foul and then just like let himself get knocked backwards like into the stanchion while Bledsoe just had like a, a wide open and one. Like that's the type of play where he's got to like play with a little bit more force. But again, you know, as a guy who wasn't really able to work out that much and just not, I mean, playing him at center is going to have to be a very, very selectively used thing because he just is not strong enough or athletic enough to hold up against a, a lot of guys either in help defense or against you know, a traditional center uh, well, in the post and he hasn't established his shot at the nba level so it's not like you're getting Yeah, he's not even tra- looking to shoot that three yeah it's not it's not like you're getting that trade-off you know if you're getting that benefit you know forcing let's let's call it ennis canner out out there to, to defend him or just let him shoot that then you know then you're making a different trade-off but he is a very gifted offensive rebounder so you kind of don't want him away that much it's something that that we've learned with Kristaps Porzingis which was always just a general truth is that you kind of the more you have a guy out on the three-point line the the less often he's going to have offensive rebound chances but you still can do it from time to time and you have to proving that you do it I mean proving that you can is something that helps almost as much as actually making him yeah that's true he's just out there trying not to screw up right now too yeah you know it's and I think that's the case for a lot of rookies trying to just finish what he can, do some DHOs, maybe make some decent passes at times. He does have a nice passing vision. And it would be nice to see at some point if he can get a little bit more aggressive. I think he could benefit actually from some time again in the D League this year where maybe they let him run some four or five pick and rolls with the ball in his hand, shoot some more threes, maybe try to post up a little bit against switches. To get to the point where he can be a little bit more of an actualized player. That's not going to happen at the big league level this year, but I do think he has a little bit more skills and, and he's just kind of, you know, after, after having sat out all of last year, he's just trying to find a way to not get pulled out of the game at this point. Were you bothered at all by how little David West played in this game? I am bothered is a little bit strong, but I thought he has been pretty effective for this team. He is one of the best net ratings on the team. I would have liked to have seen him come in. I mean, he can easily guard P.J. Tucker, for example, who is playing center for the Suns. Tucker is not some unbelievable shooter, especially coming off this back injury. So I think he could have played a little bit more. Kerr wanted to just get some more looks. I mean, they went with Durant at center at one point. Uh, KD and West actually have a really nice chemistry together. I like those two guys if you're not going to have Draymond in the game. And the KD, but no Steph and, and Draymond lineups have struggled a little bit. I think that West provide just a little bit more stability there it knows how to get him into the offense can space the floor from the center position thank you for also opening the door for a stat that actually came out of a conversation you and i had at a game which is that as of the last time i checked which i think was last game david west has been assisted more by kevin durant than all the rest of the warriors combined yeah and that's i think because they play together the other thing i would like to see too especially when it's like this kd only time they've been going to him a lot more in the post I would like to see him get the ball in high pick and roll more. He really, he's not Steph, but he can still be a devastating player where you cannot go under the screen on him or he will just shoot a three in your eye. And either to get the switch first so then he can isolate or, and it's not like they don't have any shooting around him in these lineups either. 
uh, or just to run a normal pick and roll pick and pop with west uh a lot of what they're doing just isoing him seems very stagnant and they they find themselves in some late clock situations i would like to see more more of kitty i think the last time i looked which was maybe a few days ago he had only was getting like one possession a game where he's finishing a shot off a pick and roll and he's a really good pick and roll player i'd like to see more of that from him and if you do that with a five, especially when he's playing against second units, they do, generally speaking, second units do not have a secondary help defender like the power forward generally can't do that because if a power forward can do that, he probably starts. So you can pull a guy out and just kind of create havoc within a second unit defense. Uh, what else you got uh, before we one one get small going thing here. one small thing that was fun using the uh, sport view data Ian Clark only had five touches in this game and he, he scored four points but I mean it's just like I always kind of thought he would be more of a high usage guy and he's becoming on this team they're not really using him at at point guard they're not using him as primary ball handler I should make that own distinction since I rail on it so much and he's gotten kind of more into that role but you know he's doing well enough especially now that he's basically the fifth guard. Yeah, I see him as just someone who should spot up. So that, that doesn't surprise me. He should. He's most effective as a play finisher. Not so, maybe on a closeout he can do something, but yeah, I don't see him as someone who's going to initiate the offense, especially against a, a lot of defensive pressure. One last thing: Do you think we're going to see more of Zazabchulia getting that spot of where he just plays at the beginning of the first and third, or is, was that more just a consequence of the Suns only having one center and not playing him that much because of foul trouble? I think it was partially a consequence of that. I think it's partially, you know, we're not going to see him get getting minutes in the last five minutes of either half because they're going to go with Draymond at center during those times unless Draymond happens to be in foul trouble. So really, the only stint that we're talking about, he's been coming back in for three or four minutes in the middle of the second quarter. You know, he'll come in maybe with like nine or ten minutes left in the second quarter and then go out with six or five minutes left. So now with McGee looking like he needs a little bit more time, they still want to get some minutes for Looney. He's essentially a center on this team. West is a center on this team. So they're just enough guys now where they're not all necessarily going to play. And Salsa, I think, will remain the starter for the foreseeable future. But I think we could see a lot more games like this. Uh, And especially also, I think, as teams realize that, especially against the units with Durant and no Draymond that going small might actually be a better approach. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. Anything else you feel like we need to discuss from this game? Well, should we do some predictions for this upcoming road trip? Sure. Actually, one more thing on this game. I would have thought, based on the moments that really stood out to me, that Devin Booker shot a lot better than 6 of 18, but I think that was just because he had that one really strong stretch. Yeah, we've talked about this on my show that he is just not there yet from an efficiency standpoint and while he's considered this great shooter he's not hitting you know he's not a 40 percent three-point shooter right now and he's not, he's also is not getting that type of looks most of his game is going to be working and pick and roll driving some pretty tough pull-ups and he was only one out of five on threes there was one wide open three when they were down seven that I thought actually could that could have cut it to four. Warren made a great pass to him with two minutes left and might have actually kept things interesting, but he missed that one too. And he also didn't play as much this game, neither did Bledsoe because the bench had been doing well for Phoenix. So yeah, I, I it seems about right to me. Maybe I would have thought he was like six out of 15 or something, but he missed a lot of a lot more open shots than you would have thought. And he also had like two in a row blocked. Let's not forget that. Yeah, the one the one by McCaw and then the one by Durant. Yeah. So okay. And, there, so you, and you know, you know, there is no question that Steph was pulling from thirty after that Durant block, and the crowd was already going crazy. 
Yeah, and that was one of the loudest things I've heard on a regular season game at Oracle in a long time. Um, how do you think the crowd's been so far this year? They've been shaky. I, I think that, you know, they've been... Really? Good, okay. They've been good for the big moments, but I think there's this level of tension. It's also that the Warriors have kind of played flat in a fair number of their home games, you know, like... A, a lot of groans, like even for yeah. like missed free throws or any turnover, it's like, oh, like you just everybody audibly groans, but... Uh, I mean, the, the expectations for this team are high. It's hard to... But, I, I mean, when you consider the fact that they were losing by five to the Suns with six minutes to go, I think the crowd was yeah, pretty they've been, into they've it. they've been supportive in that. those kind of moments, and that's something that the good Oracle crowd has done for a long time. But what I will give them a lot of credit for is that when they need to get up or when, when a big thing happens, it's just like it used to be. Yeah, I, I haven't... I don't think it's any worse than last year, necessarily, at least during the regular season. And when you go to so, some other NBA arenas, I mean, this is just... I mean, I think it's still the best during the regular season. Maybe I thought that the crowd in the playoffs last year was not as good as the crowd in OKC for those games three and four, and I would presume for six, even though we weren't there for that one. Uh, but I, I think just during the regular season, these fans pay a lot of money. They're engaged. This is They have an understanding of what this team is. Uh, and now they are, I guess they're, what are they, 8-2 and two now? Yes, they are 8-2. and two. Probably uh, about what you would have predicted their record would be at this point in the season, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is, is colored by that the second loss was such a strange, bad game. But overall, yeah, I think that's certainly fair, especially when they got that win in Portland. You know, like, I, I think I probably would have predicted 8-2, and two, just the second game would have been different. Yeah, so they're pretty much on pace to be right around in terms of wins where everyone thought. And they are, I mean, this game will help their going to be the number one offense now by a mile this game is not going to help the defense i mean they're probably like first in offense and 20th in defense right now but that first in offense i think is going to be so good um so yeah did, did you want to talk about the upcoming road trip at all sure why not uh the so i'll give kind of the lay of the land for it so they play wednesday in toronto then they play friday in boston and then to echo last season though it was later in the year they fly straight from Boston to Milwaukee and play the Bucks the next night. Then they have one off day and play the Pacers. Yeah, I hope that Horford and Crowder are back for that Warriors game on, on Friday. I'll actually be in Milwaukee and at the Pacers game. I'm going back to the Midwest to, for a little trip over Thanksgiving. So I'll be at both of those games. And yeah, I think the Toronto game is going to be really interesting. I am looking forward to seeing whether DeMar DeRozan can keep up this hot streak against some of the quality wing defenders that the Warriors have, whether you, you expect that Toronto is going to do a lot of trying to get Steph onto DeRozan in the pick and roll, which is something that's really been a struggle at times for the Warriors, how well Steph's going to hold up. Can he stay out of foul trouble? I think it'll be a nice test for both teams. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that one, which of course is the inaugural Twitter NBA show that we'll be doing the halftime show for. Yeah, it's going it, to, it's kind of fun to have a game that is in, in both of our wheelhouses that we like to think that our wheelhouses are plenty large and yeah, it's going to be great. So to give people a little bit of background, the Twitter NBA show is something that has been in the works for a little while, and it's Twitter approached Nate and I about the idea of doing a live a live streaming show. We're going to use Periscope, and then that's connected, of course, with Twitter. And so we are going to do both halftime shows and postgame shows talking about what happened. And so it's going to be basically as soon as we can after the halftime whistle, and then postgame, it'll be after the second game, but we'll talk about both. So the Warriors game will be first since it's in Toronto, but we will talk about it at halftime, and then we'll talk about it post. Yeah, we'll take some questions as well. You can submit those 
what hashtag should we use? I guess we just use Twitter NBA show. That's a good hashtag, right? Yeah, it's a good hashtag. Yeah, so if you want to submit some questions towards the end of the half, we'll try to, we'll probably only get to like four or five during the actual halftime, but then we'll do some more, of course, uh, after the, the game is over. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's not going to be like some super high production value, at least at first, but if it gets popular enough, we might be, get some more resources for it. And it's just, I mean, a lot of people have asked us to do this. I, I have thought that there's a niche for this product out there to be able to react a little bit faster live while people are watching. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, yeah, and you and I talking about games at halftime is something that we've done for years, but it's never been something that we've been able to translate into that. And to get the platform using Twitter and the support that they provided has been a really big help, too. Yeah, so look for that tweet for both of us. Uh, You'll actually just be able to play it right in the the Twitter webpage, or you can follow me on Periscope at NBA. Sign up for alerts for me, and whenever we go live, uh, you'll get one on your phone, so you can uh, do it that way, too. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Nate won't spam you with other random periscopes, so I think it'll just be it'll be more on on this realm. Though who knows, maybe maybe you'll get catch the bug and start doing it all the time now. Uh, I have been actually my kitten has been playing fetch lately, which is pretty impressive for a kitten. So we, maybe I'll start periscoping that as as well. Hey, really that that gets like, us that gets us more followers. I have no opposition. That's also an adorable cat. <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for taking the time. All right, sounds good. Thanks again to Nate for taking the time. You can. Follow him on Twitter at NateDuncanNBA, and you can also listen to the Dunked on Basketball podcast, which I am frequently a guest on. We actually recorded our 15 and 60, which is one of our favorite things, and that's basically every Sunday we do one conference. This time it was the East turn, so nothing Warriors related there, but it's something we really do enjoy doing. And you should also definitely check out the Twitter NBA show, and the best way to stay in touch with that is actually to follow Nate on Periscope, and it's the same Nate Duncan NBA. Very excited about that opportunity. It's going to be a lot of fun to do it. And I'm if people are interested, I might use Locked on Warriors a little bit, especially when in this game where it'll be relevant, to maybe take a little bit behind the scenes and how we're going to do how we're going to do that project and show and everything like that. But it's going to be a lot of fun. We did a test last week with the Thursday games and so actually had the Warriors Nuggets on another on another monitor, but it was a great experience and super excited to do that. And If you want to support the show, this show, or really any other, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can leave a rating, leave a review, and whatever your podcast player is. It's great if it's iTunes, but if it's something else, that's totally fine. And then subscribing and downloading every episode. Sounds basic, but it it is really helpful to us because that download information is incredibly central. So appreciate that. The other great thing you can do, which is also help to you because it's a great app, is you can use... SeatGeek, and so you go to use, you download their free app, you add the promo code LO Warriors, and you get $20 off your first order. It's a great app. It's something that I do personally use and have a lot of appreciation for how hard it is to pull off as somebody who, as I mentioned earlier, used to work in that business. And it was kind of a, a thing that I wish was was in existence when I was doing that business because it would have been a big help, especially the way it aggregates it. So definitely check that out. Use the code. You get $20 off. Tell them you came from us. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider.
This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.